Welcome back to Christian Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Rogers, and this is the podcast where we discuss all things outdoors and how we can enjoy God every day. And thanks again for joining me here at Christian Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Rogers. If you've been following us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we kind of jumped off the outdoor wagon for just a little bit, and we were able to have some discussion that I called from a Christian perspective. And we jumped into some topics. I brought my buddy Chris Taylor on here with me for a couple of episodes, and we did uh, um, some really interesting topics together. We looked at them from the biblical perspective. If you haven't heard those I want to encourage you to tune in and to to find those. Go to episode 79, and you'll hear our discussion when we talk about the Second Amendment from a biblical perspective. We jumped into Scripture, and we looked to see what does the Bible say about that. And and it was a really good discussion. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. And then the next week, we, we looked at the capital punishment from a biblical perspective. How should a Christian feel about capital punishment? Does the Bible permit it, prohibit it? Uh, what does the Bible actually say about it? And we had a good discussion about that as well. And lastly, last week I discussed divorce in the church. And divorce impacts over 50% of all marriages in, in America today, which is a different issue and a, and a different subject for another time. But but because of that, then churches have to be honest with themselves and realize that that well over half of their congregation is directly or indirectly impacted by divorce, whether they themselves have been divorced or their parents or children or grandchildren, whatever it is, they've all been impacted by it. So episode 81 last week, we, we talked about that and, and we got into the nuts and bolts of what does the Bible say about it and how should the church respond to it. So if you're interested in any of those, then I encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes. And we continue that theme this week with, again, I have Chris Taylor joining me as we discuss one of the more emotional topics in regards to the Christian perspective, and that is the topic of suicide. What does the Bible say about suicide? Is suicide an unforgivable sin? Do believers who commit suicide go to heaven? What happens when you die by your own hand? We're going to jump into this topic and many uh, avenues about it, and we're going to discuss it. And this really came to light for a lot of reasons. One is it's way too prevalent in our society. And two, we just passed Memorial Day, and I was reminded of the 22 veterans today who take their own life because they have found adjustment after military way too difficult. And I have a son-in-law who's in the Army, and I'm very proud of him for serving in the Army, and it's just near and dear to my heart. Not, Not only that, as a pastor... I had to perform way too many funerals for suicide, and I understand the, uh, at least to some degree, I understand how the family suffers and how, how it just impacts so many people for for years and decades. I don't believe uh, in a lot of cases people ever really get over it. So this week we're going to discuss suicide from a biblical perspective, and we're going to look at it in detail. What does the Bible have to say about it, and and what? Should the Christian, or how should the Christian respond when they are impacted by suicide, either directly or indirectly? So stay with us. Uh, Chris will join me again in just a few minutes. We got to hear a word from our sponsor, and then we're going to jump into the subject on what does the Bible say about suicide. This portion of the podcast is being brought to you by the CVA Acura V2 LR, which is the long range version. These models provide a level of accuracy performance that is unequaled in any brake action muzzleloaders on the market today. This degree of precision is attained because the Acura V2 LR rifles, while they're equipped with 30-inch premium custom quality Vergara barrels, 
These barrels have quickly become recognized as the most accurate production muzzleloader barrels in the world today, and they're available in either a Cerakote nitride stainless steel or a standard stainless steel version. The Acura V2LR includes CVA's quick-release breech plug, which you can remove with just your fingers, and the stocks and four stocks are upgraded with a soft-touch coating and rubber grip panels, making them comfortable and secure even in the foulest weather. These ergonomically designed stocks are fully ambidextrous, and one screw disassembly makes the gun easy to take apart for cleaning and for travel. If you want to learn more about the CVA Acura V2 long-range version, go to cva.com to learn more. As I said in the introduction, I welcome Chris Taylor, Reverend Chris Taylor from uh, Mount Carmel Baptist Church in Utica, Kentucky, to join me again today as we look at another topic here in this Christian Perspective series that we've been doing. You know, it, just for those of you who are just now jumping in on this series, we started several weeks ago with episode 79 on uh, Second Amendment from a biblical view, and then we did capital punishment from a biblical view from a Christian perspective. Last week, um, Chris wasn't able to join me, so I did it by myself on divorce from the biblical view and, and how does the church's response to, to divorce. This week, we're going to do one on a very touchy subject, very emotional subject, One, but it's one that he and I both feel needs to be addressed, and that is on the issue of suicide. What is the church's role in this? Um, what is going on with this? What seems to be an epidemic of suicide rates uh, over the last 10 years anyway, and, and really over the last year and a half specifically. Uh, and so we're going to look at that, and we're going to talk about it in detail. But I want to start off by saying this, that if you or a loved one are struggling with suicidal thoughts and tendencies, please get help. Don't try to face it on your own. There's hope and healing. There are many people who will help you through this journey. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at one 800 273-8255. Again, that's 1-800-273-8255. At any time, day or night, 24-7, there's someone there to talk with you. You can also go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org if you'd rather go that route. But, but please reach out to someone if you are having suicidal thoughts or tendencies. Um, please reach out and get help. I wanted to put that up front. I'm going to cover that again a little bit later. But uh, I think it's important that that's out there for anyone who may be listening to this. So with that, Chris, thank you for joining me again, buddy. I really appreciate you jumping on, especially on a topic like this. Hey, it's good to be back. I think I could probably do your intro for you. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> You've done it enough. Uh, you've been a guest. Uh, he's almost a co-host at this point. <laughs> I think I've heard it enough. Welcome yeah, so back to Christian Outdoors Podcast. This is Pete Rogers. <laughs> Yeah, well, you kind of get into the habit of saying the same thing over and over, it's kind of like your sermons. Yeah, yeah, they're so repetitive. Yes, they are. So repetitive. Yes, they are. Um, but we are getting into a very, uh, a very serious topic. But you know, Chris and I have a good banter, so there will be some jabbing back and forth in the process. But I don't want that to diminish how serious this topic is when we talk about suicide. But specifically, we want to talk about is suicide a sin? And if someone who commits suicide, are they going to go to heaven? Um, it, is it a path to damnation? What does the Bible say about that? Um, is it unforgivable? Before I get into my little dialogue about that, uh, I want to cover a few statistics 
about suicide in the United States. Now, now these statistics come from the Center for Disease Control, the CDC. So these are government numbers. These aren't numbers that Pete made up. All right. It says here that suicide rates have increased, Chris, on your listeners, by 33% since 1999. By 33%. It's the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. 47,500 people on average commit suicide every year in the United States. That's one about every 11 minutes. That is, that's, it breaks my heart to even read that. The number of people who are thinking about suicide or who attempt suicide, Chris, are 12 million American adults every year. Three and a half million planned a suicide attempt, and there's 1.4 million attempted suicides every year. 47,500 succeed, but one and a half million people attempt suicide every year. And, you know, I just, again, my heart breaks reading that number. And I really want to, the reason this kind of came up this week is because we just had Memorial Day, and there was some emphasis about the struggle that veterans are having. And I was listening to that and it just kind of, it just touched my heart and it made me start thinking about this subject and say, you know, this may be good timing because every 65 seconds, a veteran kills himself. 22 veterans a day are dying at their own hands. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, and those are numbers are for people who are not in active duty. Active duty numbers are even, are even higher than the national average. Of the, of the veterans who have served, and it's across all age brackets, Chris, it's been, you know, from the, those who served three years and got out to those who served 20 years and got out 25, 30 years. It doesn't matter. Um, men and women alike, 22 veterans a day are dying at their own hands. And, and this is something that um, um, it, it troubles me. I don't know what I can do about it. This is one thing I think we can do, bring attention to it. And then Chris and I are going to talk about what can we do and what can the church do. But those are some statistics. We're going to keep coming back to those as we have this discussion. So, Chris, I'm going to put you on the, on the spot here, pastor of Mount Carmel Baptist Church. The question really is, is uh, can a person be forgiven of their sin who has killed themselves? Can a person who committed suicide go to heaven? The Bible is very clear about sin, but the Bible is also very clear about forgiveness. Yeah, I, I think both of those things are very clear at the same time. I think that in order for us to understand suicide or any sin, period, it would it's in order it's important for us to understand some necessary truths that the Bible makes very clear. Number one, humanity is totally depraved. You know, uh, we are totally sinful. We see that in Isaiah 64, 6. I think uh, the prophet says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Uh, we see that in Romans 3, 10 through 18. You know, uh, Paul says, none is righteous. No, not one person. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned away. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and in their paths are ruin and misery. Now, that, that, that may, scripture makes it clear that we are all sinful. You know, from birth, you know, we are all totally depraved and sinful and desperate need of, of salvation and of a Savior to, to change us and save us and redeem us. That doesn't mean that we're as evil as we could be, but that every human capacity that we have, that our intellect, our heart, our emotions, our will, they're tainted by sin. And Scripture makes that very clear. Uh, number two, even after we're saved, I think the scripture makes it very clear that a Christian is capable of committing any sin except for the impardonable sin, which we see in Romans 7. You know, uh, and I'm not going to read all that chapter because right, it's, right, right. it's a huge chapter, but, but go, go check it out you know, if you're listening to this. Um, the unforgivable sins mentioned specifically in Mark chapter 3, verses 25 through 32, and it's uh, mentioned in Matthew 12, 32 through 34. And from these passages, we, we get this understanding that it refers to as the impardonable sin. It refers to the continual rejection of the Holy Spirit uh, in the work of conversion. And so if you read Romans 7, you understand that any Christian is capable of any sin, even after conversion. I think it's also important to remember that a believer is capable of taking the life of someone else. You know, we see this with David in the case of Uriah. You know, he puts, he, he commits this sin. He has relations with Uriah's wife while Uriah is not there. He then puts Uriah on the front lines of battle and has him essentially killed. He pulls the ranks back behind Uriah, and Uriah's fighting on his own, and he dies in battle. And this is this is David's doing, you know. But yet at the same time, we see in the New Testament God uh, showing us this this spirit of forgiveness over David's life and calling David, you know, a man after his own heart. Um, this is even after Uriah committed murder. I mean, David committed murder, essentially. Um, I think it's important to understand that Christ's sacrifice at the cross has forgiven all of our sin, both past, the present, the future. Uh, we, and if you want scripture to back that up, you can go to Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14. You can go to Hebrews 10, 11 through 18. You know, there's, it's very clear that Christ's sacrifice is a covering of sin, period. So you're you saying know, there so, that if I am a believer, if I've accepted Christ as my Savior, then there's nothing I can do that can be unforgiven. Right. Okay. Right. So, and that kind of concludes, to, to wrap all that up, you know, the sin a Christian will commit tomorrow was forgiven at Calvary. You know, the, the sin that I will give into and the temptation that I may give into this evening, you know, was forgiven at Calvary. Okay, uh, well, Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to play uh, 
uh, the other side of the fence here. I, I agree a hundred percent what you're saying, Chris. And just for the listeners say, Chris and I did not talk about this before we got started recording as to where each of us were. We kind of thought we were on the same page, but we, but we did not uh, talk about this ahead of time in, in any detail whatsoever. But I want to say that, that I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying, but I got a couple of stories I want to share with you that, that, that have bothered me over the years. And that is this. Uh, one is, um, I had just been, uh, you know, I was a United Methodist pastor, so we were sent to churches, you know, and, uh, and I was sent to a church in rural South Carolina. And back then, uh, pastors all moved on Wednesday so that you could be ready to preach on Sunday. So I moved in on Wednesday and there was a funeral Thursday. Now I didn't do this funeral because, you know, you know, but the, the funeral was for someone who committed suicide and it was a member of the church. So the pastor leaving did, did that service. And I'm, I really appreciate him doing that. Uh, Thursday afternoon, Friday, Saturday, I had people come into my house, come into my house, asking this same question. How can she be in heaven if she killed herself? And I gave answers like what you said. And their response to me has puzzled me to this day. And that was, but I thought if you die with sin, then you're going to hell. I said, no, we all die with sin. And so, well, that's not what I've been taught. I've been taught that if you backslide, was their phrase, and if you die with sin, any sin, you're going to hell. And if I kill myself, I can't ask for forgiveness of that sin. So therefore, I lose my salvation. So, as I thought about that, and as I was preparing for this, I realized that this question is, is excuse me, that this question of if you commit suicide, will you go to heaven is really a question of can you lose your salvation? For Pete, the answer is no. You can't. Unless, even after you have been saved, and I'm going to say unless, I have a big question mark around and big quotes around my word, unless if you then uh, reject God and turn away from God and, and, and resist the Holy Spirit from then on, you know, people who, who just say, you know what, this whole God thing's a joke, I'm out. And they just mm-hmm. completely wash their hands of anything to do. I'm not going to say they lose their salvation because that's really between them and God at that point. Um, and that's really a little bit of muddy water. So I'm going to say that the question is if someone – if someone who commits suicide goes to heaven, depends first, number one, on were they saved first? Had they accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Was it evidenced by yes. fruit of the Spirit? Right. Points in their life. You know, right. um, is there evidence of obedience? You know, John 14. Yeah. You know, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, this whole idea that someone who truly loves Jesus will follow Jesus and, and right. keep his commandments. Yeah. And uh, that, and that opens a can of worms, Chris, if I may, of, well, if you really accepted Jesus and you really are bearing fruit, why would you kill yourself? And, well, I, I think yeah. a part of this, I think a part of this that we have to, we have to recognize and, and, in a very sensitive way is that, Depression and anxiety, mental illness, all of those things are real struggles. Very real. real. Even in the lives of believers, 
Absolutely. You know, um, you know I, I believe, uh, and, and uh, before we get to that, I think I think it's important. We'll, we'll kind of hit on what you said. You know, I, I think it's un, it's important to understand we 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 play no part in our salvation. Jonathan Edwards said this, and I think you had it on on your your. Uh, your podcast yeah, Philip, before Philip Philip quoted, but the it, only yeah. thing that we contribute to our salvation is our sin, you know, that makes it necessary. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's important to understand that we are not in a positional authority to be able to lose our salvation because we are the, not the ones that gained our salvation. You know, Christ is the one that purchased our salvation and made it possible through right. the bloodshed of his own life on the cross. And God is the one that does the work of salvation. We see that in Ephesians 1. We see that in Romans 1 through 9. We see that, you know, yeah. God, God is everywhere. the one who, yeah. who does the work of salvation. You know, and, and so to say, to even ask the question, is it possible to lose my salvation, means that we have a vast misunderstanding of our position in the process of conversion. You know, we, yes. we are not the ones that save ourselves. It's not in our hands. It's in the hands of God. You know, and if so, if the conversion, if the salvation process initially is in the hands of God, then praise God, you know, he's the one that holds it for eternity. And Romans, Romans, 1, Romans 1 through 9, essentially, you know, it talks all about this, you know, about, how God is the one positionally that does the work of salvation, you know, and therefore we can have hope that the, the, the efforts of earning and gaining and keeping our salvation is never in our hands. You know, it's always in the hands of God. And the Bible makes it very clear that those whom he has purchased through the death of his son he offers it to the world, but only some will come, you know, narrow is the, the, the path, you know, right, broad right. is the gate to destruction. Narrows the path of you to find it. But, but we can trust, you know, that God is going to hold us in his hands, even in, uh, even in the situation in which we may die with unconfessed sin, which every one of us is probably going to die with unrepented and unconfessed sin. Yeah, I was, yeah ex- exactly. And that's that's really where I went with with the people that were asking me the question about if you die with sin, don't you go to hell? And I said, well, gosh, I hope not. Because, I mean, think of the being sinful people by, by Adam and, and Eve's fall. We are, as you said, totally depraved. That if I'm driving home from work and somebody pulls out in front of me and I get in a horrific car accident and I die, and I haven't asked for forgiveness for the sins of that day, which I which I do because I'm a sinful person. Mm. Am I going to hell because of that? I don't believe so. I, I think the Bible's clear that that is not going to be the case. That yes, I died with unrepented sin, but because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, because of His redeeming love, because of all those things, He's going to welcome me into heaven. And there's going to be a big party, and we're going to, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to jump up, and he's going to wrap his arms around me, and I'm still going to be celebrating. Now, he's going to say, now, Pete, now, what about, what, you know, when you were at the printer, 
and you printed stuff for yourself instead of for your company, you know, that's kind of stealing. And we need to talk about that uh, or things of that nature. He's still or every time you drive over the speed limit. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm going to get really depressed if you keep that up. <laughs> he's going to hold us accountable for our sin, but he's not right. going to, in my opinion, I believe the Bible is clear that our salvation is not at risk. Back to our main point here, if we right. commit suicide, if we're a believer. Um, so I think the answer is no, that, that, or let me phrase the question right before I say the answer is no, is uh, can a person who has been forgiving of their sins and who has received God through the mercy and merits of Jesus, if that person commits suicide, will they go to hell? No, they won't. That's how Pete interprets the Bible. You agree with that or disagree, Chris? I agree. Jesus is the one that justifies us. He sanctifies us. He has declared us positionally righteous uh, through the shed blood of, of, of his work on the cross and, and the resurrection made that possible. You know, he's the one that accomplished this work through one single offering that does not have to be repeated again and again. And on the cross, he made uh, us justifiable. And so if right, right. someone, if someone takes their own life, if they have trusted Christ and been regenerated and converted and they're saved, I, I do believe they will be in heaven. Uh, I do too. And you know, it's, it's because our, our standing before God is not based on how well we perform. Thank goodness. It right. isn't based on our obedience, but on the obedience of Jesus at the cross. Right. Because if it was based on Pete's performance, I, I fail every day. You know, it goes to that chapter in Paul that nobody can read out loud without getting really confused. The things that, what is that, seven? The things I want, yeah. I don't want to do, I do, and the things, all, all that. That's Pete. I mean, I want to do better every day, but I fail miserably. I fail miserably. It, it reminds me, and we've been in Romans a lot here, but it reminds, reminds me, me of, of my favorite verse in, the, in all the Bible, which is 8, 38, 39. For I am convinced, you know, that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if that's true, then we cannot be separated from the love of God, even if we kill ourselves. Hmm. Now, I want to ask this question, Chris. Do you think the reason that people say, if you kill yourself, you won't go to heaven, they do that as a deterrent? Not, not as a theological fact. I, I honestly think that people use that, those, those types of phrases out of, out of ignorance. And by the word ignorance, I don't mean that in a negative connotation. I mean it in its original meaning, you know, a without lack of understanding, knowledge. a lack of understanding. Yeah. 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 And and the reason I say that is I, is I feel that most people have a very hard time understanding, you know, why a believer could get in the position uh, of which they would even want to take their own life. Right. Uh, or anyone for that matter, you know, especially someone that does not struggle with depression or anxiety or any type of, uh, of mental illness. I think they have a hard time understanding how it's possible 
And so they just, you know, they, they go to the end of all things and say, well, you know, I don't get it. It's not possible in my life. Therefore, if someone else does that, then they have to be lost, you know? Right, they, right, right, right. Um, have you known someone who's committed suicide? Or had funerals for people, church members? I, or? I've, I've done a funeral, yes, for someone yes. that did. It's tough, isn't it? It's really tough. It's really it's, tough. It's, it's really tough, tough to... to the, the hardest part, uh, in my opinion, is comforting the family, you know, yes. and, and the friends of those that don't understand. You know, right. they, they're, they're, we love this person. You know, yeah. we, we, we love spending time with this person. We cared for this person, you know, and why, thought, you know, uh, yeah, there's yeah. that big question of why, you know, yeah. and, and you never have an answer, you know, there's, right. there's no answer to that. Why? And, and their guilt for not recognizing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tough. It's, it's, it's really tough. And the reason I ask you that, and I know that's kind of a raw question and caught you off guard, and I apologize for that part, but uh, I ask that for the listener who um, who may have recently gone through this or, you know, even if it hadn't been recent, when they know someone who, who took their own life, it, it just it stirs in your soul, at least it, for me it has. And unfortunately, I've, I've known several Um it stirs in your soul a question of, of some guilt. Why didn't I recognize it? Why couldn't I, you know, if I had recognized it, maybe I could have helped. It stirs in my soul a little bit of, um, it's kind of isolating for me, the way that my personality is like, it makes me want to withdraw and to really self-examine and to th- and, and then I start thinking about other friends and, and, and colleagues and, and people that I know, acquaintances, who say, you know, I, I wonder if they're struggling. They haven't been acting right lately. And I've been so consumed in my own life that I haven't noticed this person hurting. It's just, it's such a sad, sad thing. Um, but you touched on it. And I want to I share just a little personal story, if I may, Chris. And that is, um, there was a time in my life when I was very seriously considering that option. Is something that I don't talk about very much. Uh, I think I've—I don't think my children have ever heard me say it, so I kind of hope they don't listen to this. But, but there was a—you mentioned depression, and I went through a season of depression, and I know it was situational. The dark hole that you get in emotionally is so dark. Uh, this was when I was going through my divorce. So for anyone who's gone through divorce, you know, last week's podcast was on divorce. And, and that's another reason I'm sharing this. I was going through my divorce. I was a pastor at the time going through divorce. And as, as you know, Chris, if you're a pastor and your marriage breaks up, you, you lose your job too. Right. So in a matter of just a few weeks, I went from being a pastor of a very dynamic growing church to homeless, you know, when my wife left and we were separating and the church didn't want any of that, uh, you know, scandal, if you will, I was asked to leave the church, which I lived in the church's house. So I had to leave the house. I had nowhere to go. 
and all my education was geared towards that one thing, it just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled. And I got into such a deep, dark place that you feel like nobody loves you. You feel like that everybody, you're embarrassed, you're hurt, you're, you're, you're really hurt and shattered by the people around you that you think would step up and don't. Um, and it is a, it's a place that, that I didn't even know existed prior to then. And, and I'm saying this, I'm sharing it for the listener who may be in that dark place. And I want to say to you, I did not attempt suicide. I strongly considered it. And what I mean by that is, is that I planned it. And I even went to the place that I had planned to carry it out, but I didn't attempt to carry it out because I believe, uh, I believe God knocked me upside the head and said, what are you doing? You know, I am not done with you. The, the church may be done with you, but I'm not done with you. And, um, and I'm thankful for that. I went and sought some help, some counseling, got through it. And I got to say that, that, uh, I'm fortunate in that that depression I was in was was directly related to the events that were going on at the time. Some dear friends of mine helped me crawl out of that dark hole. Uh, one of them actually lived in Washington State. And the reason I'm telling you this is because you don't have to be next door neighbor. He lived in Washington State. He's deceased now. He's in, and, and I love him dearly. Um, try not to get emotional here. But he called me every day, sometimes several times a day to check on me. And, uh, and when I wouldn't answer the phone because I didn't want to talk to him, and then he'd call later and I answered the phone, he would just chew me out for not answering the phone. I, and that, that, that's what I needed. I needed, when I call you, you answer the phone. I'm cleaning it up a lot. Um, <laughs> but uh, I got out of that hole because of Walter, because of God, because of Barbara, because of Leisha, because of of uh, my my family and, and a few other people who didn't give up on me and said, you know, you can get through this. It's going to be okay. We will help you. We will be there for you. And they were. They were. And when you're in that, Chris, it feels like an eternity. Looking back on it, it was a matter of maybe seven months before it all flipped, and it flipped like a light switch. It just flipped. I was able to get out of that and, uh, and get out of it with some, like I said, some dear friends. I did get put on some antidepressants. I'm not ashamed of that. It helped a lot. It helped me a lot. Do not ever be ashamed to get on any anti-anxiety medicine or any antidepressants. It's like, let's I, talk about Let's talk about that for a yeah, second. I, yeah. yeah I, I, I'd like to. I think, I think we need to. Yeah. You know, I, um, I yeah, describe it to people. Ahead. I described it to people like this. Um, if you're on diabetes, it's because your pancreas isn't working right. And you got to take insulin to help your body balance the sugar in your, in your body. You didn't ask for diabetes. You didn't ask for your pancreas to give up the ghost. You didn't ask for your pancreas to be weak. And I'm, I use that because diabetes runs in my family. And, and I'm fighting to not get it right now. And, uh, but if I do, then I'm going to take insulin because I want to stay alive. I want to stay healthy. It's the same thing in my brain. You know, if my brain has a chemical imbalance, which is what the insulin is, the chemical imbalance, if my brain has a chemical imbalance, I'm going to take something to correct it. That's my analogy. Chris, go ahead. 
Well, I mean, you look at it from a biblical perspective, you're right. You know, but who is sovereign over all things? God. You know, God, God is the one that's in control. The Bible makes it very clear that kings and kingdoms and nations, though they seem to be in power, they are still under the sovereign hand of God. You know, and so if you think about this from a biblical perspective, doctors and scientists that have developed this type of medication, they're under the sovereign hand of God. And, you know, most of that has been developed to help us in our uh, fallen state, you know, um, depression and anxiety and all those types of things are a result of our fallen state and various people struggle with it. And it's, it, we should destigmatize it. It's, it's, it's humanity, you know, um, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with seeking that avenue for help. Absolutely. Um, I agree. We should totally destigmatize. I don't understand why it's stigmatized. I think it, it kind of goes to like, uh, oh, who was it recently? I was hearing something. I don't, and I forgive me for not getting my source correct. But it said that it's, we see somebody with a prosthetic and we, we can see what's wrong with them. And so we have sympathy and sympathy for them. We can't see the mental, the chemical imbalance in our brain. We can't see that. Right. We can and so it's hard for someone to relate to it. But here's the thing. It's really self, self-looking. I have to be okay with taking the medicine and say, well, if I needed insulin, I would take it. So why won't I take Prozac if I need it? Why won't I take Lexapro if I need it? Why won't I take whatever those other ones are if I need it? Uh, nothing wrong with it at all. At all. Um, and I agree, we should totally de- destigmatize it, um, realize that we are just making ourselves better, and ourselves better makes us better husbands and, and wives, parents, children, siblings, coworkers, etc. It just makes us better. And there's absolutely no shame in taking anti-anxiety, antidepressants, whatever you, you know, whatever that you need none whatsoever you should not even feel that way what should a believer what what are some practical steps that a believer who's struggling with with this um maybe having thoughts or struggling in a deep depression what are some practical steps that a believer should take um excellent question to help with this let's talk about that first excellent question excellent question which was First of all, is 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 um, don't try to fight it alone. Do not try to fight. Seek help, and and, and I want to be specific because when somebody says seek help to me, I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know. So let's talk about what that means. Uh, if you are if you have a- avenue to your pastor, go talk to your pastor. Pastors, I want to caution you by saying that this may be something over your abilities to help. Amen. But. But but you are the first contact. So you say I'm gonna use I'm use the name Jane. Okay, let's say Jane comes to you and she's struggling with with depression and, and struggling with suicidal thoughts. You say Jane, I tell you what I don't you know I'm gonna listen to you. I'll help you. But let's go together to a counseling center where people are trained to help people who are dealing with what you're dealing with. She may not be willing to go, so you just keep talking to her and you keep praying with her and you keep doing all you can to give her the love and the and the 
hope that she needs. And because that's what it is, the loss of hope. For me, it was. It was loss of hope. But every pastor, I believe, should know and should have on their Rolodex, on their speed dial, a counseling center phone number that they can call right now. Resources after resources after resources. Yes. We, yes. We Whether you live them. Whether you live in, in little bitty Utica, Kentucky, or you live here in the city that I do, I know several pastoral counselors and, and, and suicide counseling centers here in, in Greenville, mm-hmm. South Carolina, that I can point you to. But I'm not just going to point you. I'm going to take you. I'm going to hold right. your hand. Pastors hold their hands through the process. I, you know, I would, I'd also encourage um, a believer who's struggling with this to, if you are not in a biblical solid community to find a solid biblical God fearing Bible loving community and dive, dive in. Mm-hmm. I mean, at, at even an uncomfortable level, dive in with these people, be real, open, honest, authentic, you know, share, share the real you um, surround yourself with, if you're a dude, surround yourself with godly men which is an active thing. It doesn't happen naturally. You have, have to right. put forth effort uh, for that. Surround yourself with godly women. If you're a lady, um, if you're a teenager, surround yourself with godly teens or godly adults and be open with these folks so that they can love on you and walk beside you and help you and pray with you while you're seeking help. You yes. know, um, I think it's multifaceted. You you get help from those who know most. You know, if you've got cancer, you're going to an oncologist to get help. But in the same sense, walking through cancer takes a team and a tribe of people, you know, to, to love on you and to carry Absolutely. you and help you. Uh, so find a church, find a good church, godly church, and plug in with those yeah. folks. Um, I'd also say, and, and I mean, that harkens back to Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen. you know, iron sharpens iron like one man or another or, or one woman to another. Um, but I'd also say dust off your Bible, you know, shake the dust off and get in it until it gets in you. Mm-hmm. And that's while you're in a community and that's while you're seeking professional help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'd also say uh, practice, um, practice on your prayer life you know um, yes yes and that that helped me when i was in my in my dark state i can remember screaming literally screaming at the top of my lungs that god why why am i going through this why do i feel this way god help me and this is you're in a vulnerable state and satan is working hard to keep you there and you know the holy spirit is bigger than that though the old VeggieTales song, you know, God is bigger than the boogeyman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I believe that. And, I, and and I have held on to that through so many. I mean, VeggieTales don't know how much that's helped me. When <laughs> when I was in that dark state, I kept singing that. Right. You know, God that's is awesome. bigger than the boogeyman. God is bigger than the boogeyman. And because I could feel Satan trying to keep me down and to continue to tear me down. And, and uh, uh, yes, it's okay, you know. If you're in that state and you need to scream, scream. If you need to to be silent, be silent. But just 
be be you. It's very hard to be vulnerable when you're in that state because yeah. you're afraid of people's reactions. So on that, Chris, I want to I want tag team that. How, what should the believer do if they feel themselves? What should the believer do if someone comes to you? You're in that men's Bible study group, and you know. And after after the study, you have breakfast, and Steve comes up and says, "Chris, I'm just I'm just really not in a good spot, man. I've, you know, my wife left, or I've I, I've got laid off my job nine months ago. I don't have any money to feed my kids. I've maxed out my credit cards." I think they'd just be better off without me. I think you become that Walter. You know, yep. was that his name? Yep. Yep. Yeah. You become that Walter, you know, in somebody's life. You know, you you're you're constantly checking on them. You're making effort to get them out and get them busy and doing things with them. You're constantly sending them text messages, reminding them of the glorious truths of scripture, you're ensuring that they're going to get help. Yeah. And if they, if they put up a fight over it, then you grab them by the hand and you walk with them through that fire, yeah. you know, uh, as a brother or a sister in Christ, you know, you mourn when they mourn and you rejoice when they rejoice, you know? And so yeah. that may be times where you're sitting with them, and hugging them and, yeah. Loving on them and pry, crying with them, praying with them. And, I mean, <clears throat> it's a scary place to be. I'm going to be real with it. It is. It's a scary place to be. But know this God's put you in that spot for that person for a reason. Okay. I believe that. I believe that when those moments, because let's face it, how many people actually are put in that moment? Very few. Right. But if you're put in that moment, you have to believe God put me here for this person. You know, what does uh, Paul say in Acts one seventeen ish you know, that you were created for at, to be put in this place at this time for his purpose. Yeah. That you were right there. The reason you went to Bible study that day was so Steve could come talk to you. Mm-hmm. You know, so embrace it. Don't, don't run from it and trust that God's going to give you what you need to help him or her. So, right. yeah, how would the church, what do you see as the local church's role or response in this? If we, if we have a crisis where, a 30, where it's increased, suicide has increased by 33% in the last 20 years, 22 veterans a day are killing themselves. Um, the, the age bracket actually was 24 to 35 were the highest rate of suicide. I would have thought it had been teenagers. Um, 24 to 35 is the highest bracket. <clears throat> that was somewhat surprising to me. Next is 10 to 17. Um, and we all know teenage is a horrible time for a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of bullying, a lot of, a lot of maturing and not maturing going on. It's just, a, it's just a rough time for people to go through. And, and, and in today's world, with all the social media and all the cyberbullying and all the, all the competition and people feeling like that they can't keep up, that they're not good enough. I don't know. I don't know that there's a good, clear answer to this, Chris. Do you? I mean, what what should the local church do besides wait until there's an event and then respond? What can we do in the local church to address it in the beginning, if anything? 
I think from the top down, you have to work. You start with pastors. Pastors, you guys have got to start destigmatizing mental struggles and mental illness. Um, you got to realize that depression is real. And I would think that this would be rather easy because the statistics are proven that pastors struggle with depression rather often. You know, um, it is a occupation that comes with depression and, and at times anxiety. Um, you know, there's all these statistics about pastors leaving the pastorate for various reasons involving, you know, isolation, feeling like you're on an island by yourself, depression. You know, so we have to destigmatize, you know, uh, and realize that mental illness is a real thing. It's a result of our fallen state. We have to teach people that, you know, the same God that created the sun, which gives us life, also created doctors and, and scientists that have created medication that help us and that there are resources out there that can help with these, uh, this type of thing. And, and I think that you start from the top and pastors, you know, realize that the gospel is central, but God has given us all of these other resources as well to aid with this situation and this particular issue. Then I, I feel that the general, you know, conversation around something like this will begin to change you know, in the local church. Does the pastor do that on Sunday morning? Does he have workshops on Sunday afternoon? Sunday? I'm just trying to get it down to his lowest denominator, Chris. Well, excuse me. Uh, I agree with everything you're saying, but, but I'm thinking, okay, I agree with that. I'm, I, let's say I'm a 25 year old pastor in a church. I've only been ministry three years. I, this is something that's near and dear to me. I hear you saying that this is something that I need to leave. I don't even know where to start. So would you do like bring bring in a, a suicide prevention expert? Would you have a workshop? Would you do Sunday morning? Would you do a sermon series on it? I mean but personally, personally, I would just in in my preaching, you know, anytime that there's a possibility. See, I'm a I'm a expositional, you know, pastor, preacher. Uh, so I preach text by text, verse by verse, 90% of the time. Sometimes I'll venture off of that all kinds of hard texts, you know, and you'll come up against at, at some point in a year, you're going to come up against a text in which you can have a conversation openly or struggles in that area. You know, you'll be able to talk about that. And, and, and so, I mean, I would just be conscious of your audience at all times scripture puts, and I would realize that there are, and so a good pastor is going to remember who he's teaching and remember who he's discipling. And at the times in which it's appropriate and possible, he's going to, you know, remind us what the Bible teaches on these things. And also, I want to tag on to that, is not, not only could somebody be in your congregation who's struggling with it, they may have had a family member who was victim of it. Right. And... and, and I, I mean, I discovered that at one of the funerals that I did for it when someone, a uh, church member, came to me and said, you know, Pastor, my, my grandson committed suicide nine years ago, and it's just something that we just never got over, and 
we don't understand. And, and so it would open opportunities to minister to them as well. Um, so directly or indirectly, you can have a very powerful impact on your congregation by intentionally including conversations about mental illness and struggle and depression and um, uh, anxiety and suicide directly and suicide directly. Um, Something else the church could do is to, you know, here in our area, churches are really quick to volunteer at the soup kitchen and at the homeless shelters, which we have, you know, several here in our city. But you could also set up a ministry to minister in the suicide prevention area. Um, I used to belong to a church years ago that had a program called Stephen's Ministry, based on Stephen from the Book of Acts. And it was a one-on-one mentorship slash counseling. You had to go through extensive, like a nine-week training to be a Stephen minister. Um, And if your church has a Stephen ministry, then you know what I'm talking about. But it's something similar. But any church can create this. And... And so that we trained members of the congregation to be Stephen ministers. And then when someone came to the pastor and said, you know, I'm struggling with this issue, they would talk with them and then they would assign them a Stephen minister and that, and they were together for at least a year minimum meet once a week for a minimum of a year. And, and it could go longer. Um, um, my wife had a Stephen minister for, going on three years, they became dear friends. They still see each other regularly because they built such a great friendship, but it was very, very helpful for her during, during a very delicate time in her life. And, and after, after we lost our baby, she really needed that. And that was really helpful for her, but that's something that any church can set up is a ministry program of lay priest, lay person to lay person that are trained. And these Stephen ministers are also trained to say, you know what, this is over my head but let's go get some more help. Let's go talk to this person. Um, um, Never. Basically, that's just a one-to-one discipleship. It is. It uh, is. Model. It is. Works really well. And that's just one example. And no, there, there are many others very similar to that, but it is, is, is this, Mm -hmm. you know, members of your congregation volunteer to be available to help. And it's strictly confidential. I mean, other Stephen ministers don't even know who you're ministering to. I right. mean, it is, it, it, it is confidentiality on a completely different level, you know, similar to what pastors have with confidentiality. But there's other things. You know, workshops would be great. I don't know. I, 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 think, uh, I think there's a lot the church can do. I, I like what you're saying about top-down, uh, and I interrupted you on that because I had this thought, so I, I apologize. you want to finish your thought there on that. I mean, I, I was there. I mean, you know, and, and I think it's necessary because, well, I mean, if the Bible makes it clear that all of these things, illness, disease, sickness, you know, their uh, sin, they're all a result of the fall. And, and if we're going to be good stewards of God's word and meet people where they are, you know, then we have to deal with these things and and be sensitive to the fact that our people that surround us uh, struggle with it yeah chris i think we've i think we've covered this pretty well i do um uh, at least i i hope we have i, I want to kind of just do a summation if i if i may and that is you know we started with the question is 
is suicide an unforgivable sin? Do you go to hell if you commit suicide if you're a believer? And Chris and I both agree that the that we believe the Bible says no. That once you're saved, that you're going to you know because salvation is a gift of God that that we accept and you accept that and and I believe that that God's merciful. I believe God is loving and He's full of grace and that. Your salvation is is secured in that. It's going to break his heart. There's no doubt about it. And he's going to cry with you when you go see him. Now, we're not saying this to encourage people to choose suicide at all. We're saying this to help people who are uh, struggling with it, to help people who are uh, have lost family members or loved ones or friends through this through this horrific uh, incident. But we're also saying it to offer comfort. Um, and because it's what I believe, I believe that the Bible is clear that, that, um, our salvation is secure because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, because of God's sovereignty, because of the, the, the wonderfulness, which is not a word, but I'm going to use it. The wonderfulness of God that we are going to be okay. I want to, I want to say again, if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts or tendencies, please get help. Don't try to face it on your own. There's hope. There's healing. There's many people that will help you through the journey. There's a National Suicide Hotline, and that phone number is 1-800-273-8255. Give them a call 24-7. All right. Well, Chris, thank you again for joining me here. Again, it's a very, it's a very emotional topic. It's a very sensitive topic. Um, I want to say that I'm thankful for God and for God's grace and God's mercy in my life and for seeing me through a very dark time. And I know that God can see you through a very dark time too, if you're listening to this. I know that he can. I've witnessed it and I've seen it and I've experienced it. So um, again, if you're struggling with it, reach out and get help in a church and wondering what to do. Maybe a support group for family members who have experienced it uh, would be something you could do. There, there's just a lot of things. Sit, Get together and brainstorm about it. But just remember that God is great. God is good. And that, and that God's love and mercy is, is, is everlasting. And as Paul says in Romans 30, 38, 39, that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, buddy. Thank you for joining me.